in Africa, we have what we call the Ubuntu culture, which largely emphasizes that um, uh, to, to be a complete or whole person, I need another, I need others. And that culture, thankfully, fits into a lot of what the Bible itself teaches. And I tend to find that Western Christianity tends to be a lot more individualistic and therefore lacks the therapeutic effect of uh, genuine biblical fellowship. My name is Angel Torero. I want to welcome you to On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham. What can Christians in Indiana learn from Christians in Indonesia? How can church leaders in Mumbai equip pastors in Miami, which is where I live and serve? On this podcast, we listen in on conversations between Chris Wright and church leaders in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, where my family has their roots. We hope you discover how much wisdom the church in the West has to gain from their sisters and brothers in villages and towns around the world. This podcast is brought to you by the Langham Partnership, a ministry founded by John Stott, to equip church leaders in the majority world. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham and explore more resources from global church leaders. Our host is Dr. Christopher J.H. Wright, known to many as Chris Wright, a respected theologian and award-winning author of more than 30 books, including critically acclaimed The Mission of God, Unlocking the Bible's Grand Narrative. When he's not writing books, Chris serves as Global Ambassador and Ministry Director for Langham. Today, Chris talks with Comrade Mbewe of Zambia. He's an internationally recognized theologian, sought-after speaker and Bible teacher, and author of several books, including Pastoral Preaching, Building a People for God. He's pastor of Kabota Baptist Church and founding chancellor of African Christian University in Lusaka. He serves with the Gospel Coalition Africa and is involved in preacher training with Langham in Zambia. Chris and Conrad will touch on the legacy of missions in Zambia, the state of the church there today, and a bit about Ubuntu culture and what we can learn from it. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to On Mission. I'm Chris Wright. And today I'm honoured to have the opportunity of talking with the Reverend Dr. Conrad Mbewe from Zambia in Southern Africa. Welcome, Conrad. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Chris. Now, Conrad is the senior pastor of Kabwata Baptist Church in Lusaka, which is the capital city of Zambia. He's a renowned preacher there and in other parts of Africa and the world and the author of several books. But before we go to your present ministry, Conrad, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your childhood and background and growing up in Zambia and how you came to personal faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you. Yes, uh, I basically grew up within the country of Zambia. My dad was a teacher. My mom was a nurse. And um, it was round about the time Zambia became independent this was moving in that direction. And so my parents were moving from one town to the other as uh, the first crop of uh, indigenous government workers. Um, so 
finally we landed into the capital city. My mom was the second registered nurse in the history of our country. So it wasn't long before she was in charge of the main hospital on the, the nursing side and then in charge of nursing generally in the whole country. So that's how we found ourselves in the capital city. Uh, I am the second of three children. And um, somewhere along the way, um, when I was now about nine years old, my mom died. And that then transformed uh, our family life altogether. In a um, sort of African cultural sense, um, the, my mom's immediate elder sister then took my two sisters and me, and she then fostered us through the first part of our teenage years. Um, it was out of town in what is called the Copper Belt, which is the industrial hub of Zambia's economy. And when I got back to dad's home, I found two extreme situations. One is that my dad had become an alcoholic in the process, which you can understand he lost his wife and lost mm -hmm. his three children, mm -hmm. lost in a sense, yeah. um, in one stroke. And I think he found it difficult to, to process all that. Mm. Um, so I found our home was in a terrible state in mm. every sense. But the other, which was more positive, is that my elder sister had just become a Christian. Mm. And uh, although we had been brought up church going, the, the complete transformation that I found in my sister sent one clear message to me, that if that's what it means to be a Christian, then I'm not a Christian. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I need to do something about it. Yeah. And so that's what really got me searching and in the Lord's providence, within the same one month of my returning to dad's home, a friend of mine wrote me an evangelistic letter in which he shared the gospel afresh to me. And really it was that letter and my sister's changed life that the Lord used three months later to bring me to my knees before him, uh, confessing my sin and asking the Lord Jesus Christ to save me. And that was in, in March, 1979. So that's how the Lord brought mm. me to faith in him. And we can give thanks for that friend who wrote that evangelistic letter to you. He had no idea that the, the one he was leading to Christ would become a pastor and a preacher and a, a writer and all the things that God has built into your life. You've been there three decades, I was reading. It's amazing. So you need to tell us a little bit about what Kabwata Baptist Church is like and how big it is and uh, that sort of thing. But in, in your long ministry there, what, what have been particular highlights? Yes, well, I came in as um, a very young man. I hadn't been to Bible college at all at that point. Uh, still single, um, aged about 25. Um, and, you know, the church took me on. I, I, I often say that when I look at the 25-year-olds in my church, I wonder mm -hmm. what they were thinking <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in, uh, you know, bring me in, but the Lord must have led them. So that's where um, I, I commenced. The church itself at that stage didn't have a church building. The 
Um, they were renting a community welfare hall. There was really nothing except about 30 to 35 individuals that were in membership, probably about 50 plus who were actually meeting together. So that's when I came into the work. Um, since then, we, we, we now have between four to 500 church members. Mm. If one was to say what would, were the greatest highlights in this ministry, I have no hesitation in saying that it's been when I've seen individuals being converted to Christ, mm. some of them from very bad situations. And now seeing them, often most of them would be teenagers in very difficult circumstances. Now seeing them uh, finish the education, marrying, raising kids, going up the professional ladder, being responsible individuals. I mean, to me, it's, it's some of the, the greatest highlights. I mean, one of my fellow elders right now was someone who got converted that way in, yeah. in the earlier years of my ministry. That's, that's lovely when that happens, yes. Conrad, yeah. yes. one of my first memories of meeting you was when you gave a talk at All Souls Church, uh, Langham Place in London, a good number of years ago now, on the importance of expository preaching. And I remember hearing you and thinking, this is a brother that I resonate with. I share his heart for this. And I think that's what led us to bring you in to uh, and to become involved with Langham Preaching, uh, the, the program of Langham Preaching, first of all in Zambia, uh, and then more widely your involvement with Langham, which has eventually led to you being a member of our International mm -hmm. Council for quite a number of years. So I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your involvement with Langham Preaching and why you think that's important and what the impact is having in your own country and wider. Yes, um, I certainly remember the visit uh, to, to London and um, because partly I just was taken into by, by surprise. I didn't know that you know I, I would be known and then given such an opportunity uh, to, to speak on that occasion. I think it was the launching of the African uh, Bible commentary, I think it may have been. That was um, in 2000. So I remember that. Yeah. Mm. Yes, that was in 2006, so it may well have been around then, yes, when, when you came and spoke yes. on expository preaching. Yes, go ahead, sorry. Yes, and I thoroughly enjoyed the fellowship with, with the, the brethren I found there, so that when the invitation now came to be involved with uh, Langham uh, preaching, in a sense, uh, uh, the marketing to my own heart had already been done, and it was a, a ready yes. Um, with respect to Langham preaching within Zambia, and I guess it's the same can be said across uh, Africa, uh, the, the greatest need that we have is uh, the, the fact that the, the health of any church depends on uh, the, the quality of preaching ministry that is taking place in that church week by week. And anybody who's been exposed to uh, the churches in Africa will, will appreciate, first of all, that we have large numbers of people attending. But at the same time, we'll appreciate the fact that, the, that, that most of the teaching and preaching is, is woefully deficient. Mm. And as a result, you can see the, the effect or the lack of effect 
of the church upon the community and so on. So when I got to know about Langham preaching and also the, the emphasis on expository preaching, because that's what I sat through soon after my conversion and benefited immensely from it at Lusaka Baptist Church, I really wanted to be a part of it. And um, the, the, the simple approach to preparing an expository preaching, I felt would appeal to most of our pastors who largely have no um, tertiary education uh, under their belt. So that's one reason why I immediately resonated with it and began to participate in the seminars, which we began to run within Zambia. It's, it's been good to see, especially a number of, I would say younger pastors particularly, who just had no idea about how to go from text to sermon, falling in love with their Bibles afresh because they could now do exactly that. And uh, a number of them I've come to know over the years um, has been a great, it's been a great encouragement uh, to me. I would definitely want to see a lot more of this happening, not only in Zambia, but across Africa. And I know that those who are involved in Langham preaching um, are, are definitely still pushing uh, that agenda continent-wide. And I'm praying that we'll see a lot of fruit out of that. Yes, you're right. Uh, Langham Preaching uh, is under the uh, leadership in Africa of Femi Adeleye, who you know um, from, from Nigeria, and very definitely thinking strategically uh, of expanding the program in, in, in many places. It is already, of course, in a large number of African countries. What I think is so wonderful about what you were just saying is that uh, in the Zambian Langham Preaching movement, uh, someone else is leading, uh, you know, providing the leadership and the direction and so on. But in the country, they have a, a marvelous model in yourself uh, of someone who's actually doing it uh, and doing it well and doing it in a way that is, you know, in, in a, a large and living church. And they can actually see what it means to do this if, if they choose to listen. So, so that's wonderful. I wonder if we could um, come to um, the wider ministry of Langham because you were with us on the International Council for a number of years. We, we've always sought to make the, the Langham partnership a, a listening partnership in which we genuinely want to work alongside uh, our colleagues and friends and sisters and brothers throughout the world in different continents. What led you to agree to the invitation to join us on that council and what do you think you contributed or learned or enjoyed by being part of us in, during those years? What I loved primarily about it was that it was an effort to lift up the standard of uh, spiritual life in the churches in the majority world um, seeking to do it strategically. In other words, it's not so much, you know, here we are, come to us and we will do, you know, everything for you. Rather, it's, there is so much potential 
that you people have. We, we simply want to come alongside you mm. so that you realize that potential. Mm. And I, I, I love that because it was not patronizing. It was really your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Mm. Uh, the Holy Spirit in, in you is the Holy Spirit in us. Mm. God has invested so much in us already, want to come alongside you, and we know you will be the richer for it. Mm. Um, so I, I love that atmosphere. And that's exactly what I experienced every time I attended the, the council meetings. Uh, the, the, the humility of the individuals that, that are involved, the, the willingness to listen to people who are in the majority world themselves, who are experiencing um, life in the tunnels, as it were, and answering the question, okay, so in the light of that, how do we come alongside uh, to see this? So I, 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 I'll be the first one to say that was very refreshing uh, coming back from each of those uh, meetings and seeing the worldwide picture of uh, Langham International. That's, that was really my experience there. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go to Zambia again, if we could. Um, it's a country with many peoples and many languages, isn't it? I mean, how many languages, for, for example, are there in, in Zambia? Just tell us a little bit about your own country and, and why you love it so much. Well, in terms of dialects, we, we have slightly over 70 and uh, we can break that down into sort of smaller tribal groupings that would be like cousin tribes to one another. Um, and that then breaks down to about maybe between 12 and 15 such larger groupings. Mm. And, um, part of the explanation was that many, many years ago, when the, uh, the slave trade was at its peak, the, the smaller tribes ran away from the coastal regions into the center of Africa to hide. Mm -hmm. And so we, we are right in the center and therefore we, we are comprised of the, the smaller tribes um, mm -hmm. that uh, make up our uh, demographics. Mm -hmm. um, having said that, so that's, that's what Zambia is all about. Um, Christianity came into this central part of our world through David Livingstone, mm -hmm. who was an explorer, but at the same time, one who was a real missionary. What brought him in was that he wanted to, to bring Christianity further north from the south. Um, but having come across the slave trade, realized that he needed to open up the entire area to uh, civilization, commerce, and Christianity, mm -hmm. the three C's, mm -hmm. as uh, they were called then. And then from there, a lot of other missionary agencies then came into our part of the world, divided up the different tribes according to different mission agencies to make it easier for them, because then each mission agency just concentrated on one language, mm -hmm. one main language and then you know, gave it a written uh, script, gave them the Bible and so on and so forth. And so what happened by the middle of the 20th century is that 
our major tribal groupings are lined up with different denominations. Mm. So the Dutch Reformed Church, for instance, will be in the eastern part of Zambia. The, the mission agency that brought Livingston into this part of the world is in the northern part of Zambia. We have the Pilgrim Wesleyan and others, uh, the Christian Brethren in the southern part of Zambia and so on. So that's the makeup of Zambia. But with the second part of the 20th century and English being declared as the national uh, language, what has since happened is that the denominations as they've come into the major cities with their cosmopolitan uh, nature, they've begun to use English and therefore you don't have a strong, a tribal link with the various denominations. Although you can still smell it as people are talking because after church, they tend to go into their own tribal dialect. Um, and then you have some of the denominations are um, liberal, others are evangelical, uh, others are more sort of charismatic Pentecostal, others are conservative. So there's quite a mixture. Um, as we speak now, 80% plus of Zambians would consider themselves Christians. And that's over a period of about uh, 150 years of mm. missions work and indigenous mm. uh, Christian work. Mm. Uh, so that's what's happened. Um, we, we cannot work fast enough in terms of training leaders for this vast level yeah. of uh, Christian um, population and Christian influence in, in the country. I think that's a quick overview that I yeah. can give. Thank you. And in terms of, of, of its political history, I mean, Zambia obviously became independent, uh, originally having been northern Rhodesia, and it has a reputation for being one of the most stable countries in Africa, uh, politically speaking, I mean. Would that still be the case? And do you think there's any reason for that? Yes, it's still the case. Um, in the countries around us, I mean, there's been quite a bit of civil war, bloody yeah. civil war. Absolutely, but, yeah. But Zambia, up to now, we, we've we've had a peaceful situation. We don't take it for granted because, as mm -hmm. you know, you know, a place can be volatile literally overnight. But up to now, the Lord has has preserved us. I think it's it's largely because of the Christian faith and the small tribes the, that we're running away from uh, situations that would have cost them a lot. So I think it's partly because of that. Uh, definitely the, the Christian emphasis, um, our initial leaders after independence were almost all trained, rather educated in what in those days used to be called mission schools. Yeah. So the, the Christian emphasis um, became their ethos the man being made in God's image was more important than, than the tribe you're coming from. In fact, the motto for Zambia from independence in 1964 up to now is one Zambia, one nation. Mm. And um, you also can't miss the, the respect that the nation generally had 
for the pioneer missionaries uh, because prior to independence, we had a lot of our towns named after places and people in Europe, uh, more specifically in um, the United Kingdom. But after independence, all those names were changed to African names except Livingstone. And yes. up to now in the whole of Zambia, there's only one foreign name that's been given to any city mm -hmm. and that's Livingstone. Yes. And I remember 100 years after Livingstone's death, which, is, which was in um, 1973, uh, the various stadiums across the country were commemorating the life and ministry of uh, David Livingstone. I was still a young man then, and I mean, a boy actually in my teenage years. And I kept thinking to myself, who is this Livingstone <laughs> that should fill up entire stadiums with different uh, denominations commemorating uh, who he was? So I think a lot of that is, is uh, because of the, the Christian work that had been done by uh, missionaries in the earlier years. So what do you think the churches in the West and you've traveled a fair bit in the West, uh, in, in Europe and in uh, the United States. What do you think the churches in the West can learn if they're prepared to listen to the voice of the churches of Zambia? Yes, perhaps just one thing that uh, I definitely would, would emphasize, and it's, it's just the, the, the aspect of fellowship, the, the aspect of... Um, um, you know, in Africa, we have what we call the Ubuntu culture, which largely emphasizes that um, uh, to, to be a complete or whole person, I need another, I need others. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's not an individualistic uh, mm -hmm. aspect of life. And that culture, thankfully, fits into a lot of what the Bible itself teaches concerning Christian fellowship, the one another passages and so forth. And I tend to find that uh, the Western Christianity tends to be a lot more individualistic and therefore lacks the therapeutic effect of uh, genuine biblical fellowship. And I think the Lord has enabled the, the church in Africa to harness something of that cultural perspective, which is really a biblical perspective to enrich uh, its life. I think that's definitely one aspect that would enrich the Western church if uh, they were to learn anything from the church in Africa. Thank you. That's, that's, that, that is helpful. Um, Conrad, you have written and spoken a lot, I see, from your website about uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and I just wonder if you could share what, what has been your prime message. And are you doing that partly because there is a problem in Africa with the plethora of faith healers, prosperity preachers and so on, that you feel you need to perhaps speak a different message from what people are hearing from them? Um, yes, uh, first of all, I have written quite a bit. Uh, what happened at that point was that the, the, the churches 
were advised to stop meeting because of the potential of the virus consequently being spread. And for about a week or two, I, I did not have opportunity to minister to God's people in my own church. And I really began to wrestle with how I could do it. And so from there grew the need for me to use um, my, my own blog to begin to address a number of pertinent issues that I knew were in the minds of God's people. Uh, issues like, you know, has God got anything to do with what it is that has happened? Um, how is God expecting me to relate to my neighbors and friends in the light of what has taken place and so forth. So that's when I began to address uh, each of these. Um, and uh, I thought of 19 issues because of COVID-19. I thought it just sounded nice. Yeah. And I deliberately wanted to stop at 19. And that's exactly what I did. And one of the issues I addressed was definitely related to the faith healers. Um, and I, I think the main issue was that when COVID-19 hit, they disappeared. And I just thought that was odd because surely if disease has, is now ravaging your society and you claim to have these miraculous powers to heal, that's when you should now step forward out of genuine love to, to help out. So I use that opportunity again to, to simply address this matter uh, so that uh, people could see the faith healers for who they really are. Because in other situations, they, they tend to be very noisy and too many people have fallen prey to this because they always want money to be given to them for them to uh, perform whatever it is. And in the process, the people that are giving the money in due season die. And you know the, the other guys still have their money. So again, I thought it was a good opportunity to, to just talk about this and many other areas as well. Just encourage God's people, I think, ultimately. Yeah. Thank you. Now, you're somewhat unusual being both a busy pastor and preacher but also a scholar and a writer. And you did your doctoral dissertation on, and I'm quoting now from the title because Langham has published it in our Langham monograph series. The title is Insights from the Lives of Olive Doke and Paul Kasonga for Pioneer Mission and Church Planting Today. And I understand this is about a good example, in your opinion, of how mission leadership was transferred into national hands. Do you want to tell us anything about that story and, and, and why that was important to you? Yes. Uh, when I was doing my, or maybe let me put it this way, when Baptist work in Zambia clocked 100 years, I, I was expecting that people who are in the more sort of denominational, associational, structural leadership were going to work on some history of Baptist work. When I realized it wasn't happening, I quickly took that uh, responsibility and worked on a small photocopied booklet, probably 30 to 40 pages long, about the first 100 years of Baptist work in Zambia, which mm -hmm. was from 1905 
to 2005. So that's when I was writing it. Mm. And I stumbled across Olive Dog and Paul Kasonga during that period. The, the thing that was staggering about Olive Dog and Paul Kasonga is that first of all, uh, Olive Dog was one of the pioneer missionaries. She was born in England, got converted in New Zealand, uh, came to South Africa with her dad, who was a pastor there, and then came over after her brother came into this part of the world to be a missionary. Her brother soon left because he just married a wife who could not handle the malaria and fever in this place. But she stuck around and lived until she was 56 years old. No, no. She stuck around for 56 years and died right here in this part of the world. Um, participated in getting the Lamba Bible translated. And in fact, she retired at the point where she handed the first copy of the Lamba Bible to the Lamba speaking people. But she never left this part of the world and uh, until she died. Mm. Poka Songa, on the other hand, grew up in this part of the world, never went out of Lambaland as far as I know, uh, which is now the Copper Belt. He always suffered from leprosy. By the time was um, midway through his life and ministry, he had no fingers, no, no toes, just and was going around uh, on, you know, sort of a first century wheelchair uh, kind of facility. And yet she saw in him the, the spiritual quality of an Apostle Paul and therefore took two steps backwards to allow him to then lead as an indigenous leader in 1933. Hmm. That's when he became the leader of Baptist work in Zambia. Uh, and it wasn't until 1953 that he was then ordained as uh, a pastor by the Baptist mission in South Africa. And then a year later, he died. So for 20 years, he was already providing um, that leadership to, to yeah. Baptist work. So it's, it's an amazing story. I mean, I can, mm. can keep you there for hours because <laughs> Olive Doak is my heroine, my spiritual mm. heroine. Yeah, well, people could read the story in your book, in the Langham Monograph series, Conrad and Bayway. One other book that you've written, uh, also published with Langham, is God's Design for the Church, a guide for African pastors and ministry leaders. I wonder if there's anything in that that would be good for Western pastors and ministry leaders and not just African ones. Well, just a quick one. The actual book that was published by uh, Langham is another one. It's pastoral preaching. Yes. Building a people for God. And um, this, this was in, uh, let's see, 2017, I think it was. Uh, yes, 2017. Um, so that's been out for about three years. I'm very grateful that Langham not only published my PhD thesis, but also pastoral preaching. Uh, and then this year, in fact, last month, was uh, God's Design for the Church, a guide for African pastors and ministry leaders. 
And to answer your question, this was published by Crossway, by the way. Yeah. To answer your question about this, the, the, the main issue for me was that the Western world has, is already spoiled with so many books. So to, to, to write another book for the Western world was to me, you know, what I would call in Zambia, sending copper to the copper belt. Or I think <laughs> you have a phrase in England about taking, is it steel to Newcastle or something? Cool. Sending coal to Newcastle is a, a, uh -huh. a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I wanted to write for Africa because that this is where we, we really still need more and more literature. But but the way I wrote it, I I, be, I always begin each chapter with, with something that's that's um, common and special about African life. And then I go into bringing out biblical principles about the church. So basically then it's expounding scripture on that topic. And then I apply to some of the areas that really need to change in the African context. And I would certainly want brethren in America, Europe and elsewhere to read this book for two reasons. One is they tend to minister into the African context. And I think they will be better equipped to do so by familiarizing themselves with quite a bit of uh, the, the, the African context or clothing that I put around the chapter. But number two, it is really to um, see how uh, the principles that ought to be taught here are really the same principles that need to be taught everywhere else because God's word applies around the world. Absolutely. Amen. Um, I'm coming towards the end here, uh, uh, Conrad. Um, what are you working on now at the moment? Are you writing a book at the moment? Yes. Um, it, it's really an exposition of Second Peter and chapter 1. Um, the working title is simply Spiritual Growth. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, arising out of a burden that believers in my own church, and as those who will read the book afterwards, uh, will, will not be content with simply, I'm saved and then exist as believers, but that they should aim deliberately for maturity. And it's as they grow that they become even more fruitful. So it's a series I did in my own church mm -hmm. for um, quite a number of months. And then I'd like to ensure that it's, it's finally put in writing. So that's, that's my homework at this stage. Well, that's, that's the way that uh, John, many of John Stott's books arose, was he had preached through a biblical book at All Souls, and then he turned it into a, a Bible Speaks Today exposition commentary. So it seems like you're following in very good footsteps in, in doing that kind of work. <laughs> I hope so, so, but the shoes are big. The, the shoes, shoes are, are very big. <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, Conrad, tell us just uh, a little bit about how we can be praying for you. Thank you. I now function 50% with the church and 50% with the African Christian University, a brand new university that we have just begun 
here in Lusaka um, with um, disciplines in agriculture, business, education, and theology. And I'm functioning there as the director of advancement, seeking to grow the university. So pray for me that uh, I might manage these two responsibilities as church pastor and also with the African Christian University. If I knew what I know now about starting a university, I probably would still be praying about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a huge but, job. Yes, but I think the Lord knew what he was doing when he closed my eyes. In the uh, early stages. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Conrad, it's so good to talk to you. And we will certainly pray for those things and for the church there in Zambia. We thank God for it. Such a strategic nation, really, right in the heart of Africa with so many uh, nations around. Uh, and also for Africa and the churches in Africa as a whole. And for your continuing ministry in the church and in that university. And uh, with all your help and blessing for Langham Partnership. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Chris. I really appreciate it. That's it for today's episode. I'm thinking about what Conrad said about the therapeutic effect of genuine biblical fellowship. My prayer for all of us today is that by God's grace, we'd experience more of it. Again, I'm Angel Torero, and thank you for joining me for On Mission with Chris Wright a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to discover how they multiply and equip leaders around the world. If you enjoyed today's conversation, will you let us know by giving us a review and sharing this with a friend? And then join me for future episodes where we'll be talking to leaders in Zambia, Palestine, Kenya, Brazil, and beyond. We look forward to having you join for our next episode of On Mission with Chris Wright. In the meantime, God bless. God bless.